0: At the risk of sounding partisan, and I'm not saying this to be partisan. In fact, if the if the words were spoken by a Democrat, I would be equally as forceful. But I'm jaw-drawn, I'm, I'm taking a bath, my breath is taken away. I have almost nothing to say to what I read that Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky said earlier today, that in fact it wouldn't be necessarily a bad idea for states to go bankrupt. <laughs> Seeing the behavior of what happened in that first couple of weeks, uh, we got this set aside, which two weeks ago, Mitch McConnell said, no, never, it'll never happen and you're delaying things. But it did. State and local government funds police and fire and teachers and schools. How do you not fund police and fire and teachers and schools in the midst of this crisis?
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Okay, multiple choice. Which word most freaks you out today? Just just based on the phonemes. Okay, so listen to the sounds. Cytokine storms. Protein spikes. Red hat cuddle parties at massage parlors in Georgia because the virus is a hoax. Okay, those first three. And the fourth, just listen to the sound. Mitch Mc on L. Okay, this is a tough one. It's a tough one for me. But I got to go with the embodiment of a protein spike trying to bust into a human cell to just grim reaper it. Mitch McConnell. Today, he's in the news for telling blue states that they deserve no more aid and should just go bankrupt. It's a real drop dead. This from a dude who, A... Represents a state with its own Democratic governor, and a B represents a state that's a welfare state in the extreme, kept largely afloat by New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Connecticut, the states he thinks should declare bankruptcy. Uh, And you don't hear Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts saying that Kentucky, one of the protectorates of her state, should jump off a cliff. McConnell, an obstructionist, an operator, a senator, And at bottom, if you study the psychology as I have, a dick. Here to talk with me about Mitch McConnell, Trump, and the COVID-19 crisis is Jane Mayer. She's a staff writer at The New Yorker and the author of Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right, which, for McConnell, is especially apropos. Welcome to Trumpcast, Jane.
0: Great to be with you.
1: It is such a pleasure to have you here, even though we are talking about the uniquely unpleasurable topic of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. You may have seen today that Governor Cuomo took direct shots at Mitch McConnell in a way that he's never done with Trump, saying that he's just such an ugly fighter. He was citing, in particular, McConnell's point that there should be basically no more aid to blue states.
0: just that he even divided the country between blue and red on the subject of aid for a national emergency. I think it's that idea that is striking people as so ugly. I think he, I think this this reaction that he's had most recently where he's trying to suggest that the state should just go bankrupt. I think it's he's reached a, a kind of a new threshold maybe in terms of national awareness that he's unpleasant.
1: Yes. That's, I mean, that's an interesting way to put it because Cuomo hit that word ugly so hard and he's been very, very cautious. He's never said anything like that about Donald Trump, even when they've locked horns publicly. It was kind of this exhaustion and sadness in Cuomo that it had come to that, that we now had to argue that blue lives matter, (laughs) that blue state lives matter, or, you know, accept Mitch McConnell's distinction that some people in blue states, their lives are worth less because they're not
0: voting for Trump. Actually, yesterday also, Nancy Pelosi took a swing at McConnell that was unusually oh. hard. She gave an interview, it looks like, to E.J. Dionne, the columnist, and about the letting the states go bankrupt. She said, is Mitch McConnell so desperate about his re-election that he has to say things like that? And then at the end of the column, E.J. Dionne quotes Nancy Pelosi saying that well Mitch McConnell will do whatever Donald Trump wants him to. Yeah. I think McConnell's becoming kind of a national figure. I see in the, in terms of being a a rallying point for against him for Democrats. I get about 5 or to 10 emails a day from various groups trying to raise money for democratic causes by taking a swing at McConnell. So he's become kind of the useful man to hate it seems like a symbol of something.
1: Early on, on Trumpcast, we had on a Republican operative, I guess that's what he calls himself, who's no longer, I think, affiliated with the party, but Mark Ross. And he was saying something that I found interesting when I was bringing up the usual just you know, my head's going to explode when I think about the obstructionist Mitch McConnell. He said, well, that's how we felt about Harry Reid, that we felt like he was cloak and dagger. He was treacherous. He was uh, twisted intellectual. And we love seeing the steamroller that is Mitch McConnell. I mean, can you maybe go back because you have this unique perspective? I should say you're you're as you know, I'm a huge this piece that you have about Mitch McConnell's evolution, how he became Trump's enabler in chief really spells out how Mitch McConnell became Mitch McConnell. Tell me about how he evolved this Grim Reaper persona that seems perversely to appeal to people in the Republican Party like a Mark Ross.
0: Well, I mean, I guess it's what they're admiring is his effectiveness and that he makes no apologies for it. I spent months trying to understand him and put in a lot of time, maybe a hundred. I went back and counted over 110 different people were interviewed for the story, some of them many times. And. Trying to figure out what makes him tick. And basically at the end of the day, and there's a quote in the story from someone who knows him really well saying, just give up. You know, you're trying too hard. This person said, I wish I could tell you there was some secret thing he really believes in. Yeah. But he doesn't. The entire quote's not in there, but the person went on and said, it's all about winning. It's hollow. It's a pursuit of power for its own right. There were also people like John Yarmouth, who was the congressman from, is the congressman from Louisville, who's known Mitch McConnell for 50 years. And Yarmouth's now a Democrat. He was once a Republican um, long ago. And, they, and, and, he and he and McConnell actually worked in a campaign together. And I thought what he had to say was similarly eye-opening, which was just that Mitch McConnell does, he wants to be someone, but he doesn't want to do anything. He and 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 uh, you know, so he's in it for the prestige, the power, the attention, the respect, whatever, but not to bring about change or sort of put, uh, some sort of public service. Really, I mean, he is he is obviously a, a Republican, so he's a small government kind of guy, generally, and you know, he would say he's there to make things more conservative. Mm -hmm. But if you look closely at Mitch McConnell's career, there is almost no issue where he hasn't taken more than one side. Hmm. He swaps his position whenever it's politically necessary to do so to win. The only thing that he's consistent about all the way through his life from the time that he first ran for his first office in high school is he is about winning. And so, yeah. So people who want to win in politics would admire that. Um, if you if you don't care about some something beyond that, he he's good at winning. He, he has a tendency to be so nasty to his opponents that even though people and he's, he's not very popular in Kentucky, and people many people said to me that even though they don't necessarily like him very much when they vote for him, he has an ability to make whoever his opponent is look even worse. Hmm. That's what he's good at doing
1: this piece is a lot about the relationship between Trump and McConnell. And I've been thinking a lot watching Cuomo. I don't want to keep referring to him, but he it, he's sort of, because I'm not watching the Trump uh, briefings, he's kind of my study guide to the current state of the pandemic. So I've been looking at him and thinking, you know, Cuomo's no more or less eager for power than a Trump or for political office. And yet he seems to be in it. He made me realize that I think Trump is sometimes basically in it for the fame that Trump does a lot of things that are not good for power. Like he, he gets distracted. He gets interested in getting someone's accolades or bashing someone who no one, you know, Rosie O'Donnell or, you know, not someone who's especially in his way. And then also he does all these self-defeating things like sleep with porn stars and pay them off and say <laughs> stupid things. And someone like Mitch McConnell or Andrew Cuomo are so focused. They, I mean, Cuomo wants to jump into the breach and save his state. And he seems so single-mindedly focused on that that I was almost like, I'm glad we have a governor interested in power and not in preening.
0: Well, I mean, and I think, again, as if Democrats probably admire Cuomo for being effective. I mean, and a lot of what was making people sort of gravitate towards him was he seemed so smart and effective in comparison with the president in handling the coronavirus pandemic, you know, that competence seems very admirable. I mean, but what's interesting when you compare the way you talked about Cuomo and how you were happy he was doing this for his state, I think one of the vulnerabilities that McConnell has is if you take a look at what he has done for his state, that his state, he, he was first elected to the Senate in 1984. His state is in terrible shape by many, many indicators and measures. It has the highest cancer rate, what, you know, some of the lowest education accomplishments. It's one of the poorest states in the country. You have to wonder what has he done for his state? And I think, you know, it, that he's he's quite vulnerable to somebody taking him on, on on that level. I mean, he would say, you know, even if you want to sort of say it's a coal mining state, what's he done for the coal miners? Well, I mean, he barely, barely helped them bail out, fund the fund the Black Lung Disability Fund just in the nick of time recently. And not very well. And the coal industry's just falling apart. Mm-hmm. I think he's vulnerable to somebody making the argument that he has not really done all that much for his state, though he does, he will argue that he brings home. You know, lots of pork, bridges, roads. And then we have to talk about Rusal,
1: the Russian aluminum firm that is linked to the oligarch Oleg Deripaska, who's caught up in a thousand ways in Trump's Russia ties. You know, that was appalling that he suddenly made this partnership with Deripaska, who's been bankrupt and then not bankrupt. But that was supposedly bringing aluminum manufacturing to Kentucky. How has that played with Kentuckians?
0: Well, I mean, actually, I think Kentuckians would be perfectly happy no matter whose money was behind that aluminum plant if it brought in jobs, to tell you the truth. But the reality is that that venture seems to be in really deep trouble. It's not going well. And what happened was that it was as much as anything, the Kentucky's governor, Matt Bevin, who swung that deal, and he put a ton of state money into it that he's committed to to getting it off the ground, and yet it doesn't seem to be working. So they may lose a lot of state money in that venture potentially, and the jobs are not coming through. And then Bevin was voted out. And so that is really interesting because Bevin is, was sort of a, a mini-meet of Trump. He was the governor of Kentucky, a Republican, and the state threw him out in, I guess it was last November, and voted in a Democrat, Andy Bashir. And that was a warning sign to McConnell and to the Republican Party in Kentucky. I mean, Bevin was, is known as being so dislikable <laughs> that he might have been a case in his own right. Um, he made a lot of really ridiculous errors politically. but And, and McConnell is a, a lot smoother operator. But again, what's interesting is he is not popular in his home state. His popularity dipped... Down to 17% approval rating in 2017, according to someone I interviewed. I mean, that is scraping bottom of the barrel there. He just doesn't have that much of a likable personality. Yeah. But what he does is he brings, you know, he brings some goodies back to the state and makes sure that he gets credit for whatever he does bring back.
1: It's heartbreaking that one of those goodies is baseline treatment for black lung and other respiratory disorders in coal miners. That, that's, you know, he's hardly bringing pork and sparkling new education
0: facilities. The other thing, though, the other thing we've talked about, you know, he's incredibly good at smearing his opponents. He has a saying, which is, you know, if they throw a pebble at you, respond with a boulder. Mm. OK, so there's that. But the other thing he's really good at is raising an insanely large amount of money.
1: This is where I want to talk about Rusal. The breakthrough of your piece is that you finally started, and bless you, better you than pretty much anyone else, trying to pull apart the threads of McConnell's corruption, in particular with his wife, Elaine Chow. So, talk us through that a little bit because it gets cloudy. Obviously, you don't want to be paranoid. But at the same time,
0: some of this is in broad daylight. The irony, I thought, or at least one of them, was that the Republicans have been making such a big deal about Joe Biden's family's corruption, supposedly in Ukraine, and how they used their ties to the people who run the country to get a business deal for Biden's son. But pretty much anything you could say about how the Biden family has profited from its foreign juice you could say about Mitch McConnell and the Chow family. And not only could you say it, but the interesting thing to me was it has been said and by the same person who made the issue of Burisma and the Bidens. And that's Peter Schweitzer, who's a a conservative journalist who's written a book called Secret Empires. And there's a chapter or two on the Bidens. And right next to it is a chapter on the Chow family. And it's as if the Republicans who are making a big deal about the Bidens just, you know, decided to pretend that the next chapter didn't exist there.
1: They just, in the alphabetical order, they, yeah, they just skipped.
0: T e to C, yeah. I mean, and, you, and I, I was just wondering and thinking, you know, what could McConnell have been thinking as he presided over these impeachment hearings during which the Republicans were trying to make this big deal about about Joe Biden's family profiting from foreign entanglements? And he knew, he had to have known that the same book that laid that out, laid out quite a bit about his own family and the Chow family. And he, what he would say just so we get this across, is he? All right. So he's married to Elaine Chow, and it's her father's company that is a, a shipping company that does seventy percent or so of its its business with China, and has been built up partly through connections with leaders of the Communist Party in China, um, which is already a pretty strange position. But what she would say is, she's not running the company. So it's not a problem. She was involved with the company, but she hasn't been running it herself. Her, si- her sister and her father run the company. Yet McConnell and Elaine Chow received $25 million after Elaine Chao's mother died in 2007, and they've been made rich by this company. They are direct beneficiaries of it, and it's been built up in part because Elaine Chao's father was a school friend of the former president of China and who helped, and it appears, in various investments and, and business ventures. and That I'm basing on the New York Times reporting by Mike Forsyth, which was fantastic reporting. The Times has done a terrific job on this.
1: One of the things that's alleged to have gotten under Mitch McConnell's skin after the the Rusal deal, which, as you say, has not redounded to the pocketbooks of Kentuckians the way uh, McConnell might have hoped it would, but that after that deal, he got nicknamed Moscow Mitch. And we were at least told, and some of this is just an effort to make this thing go viral, that it really got under his skin. It
0: really did. There were some things that I wasn't able to use. I could use without somebody's name, but he, Mitch McConnell, absolutely blew up at a reporter who who tried to question him about this, and basically lost his cool. And I think I have an idea why that would be. Also, if you read McConnell's autobiography, which is actually quite an entertaining, it's brightly, book, uh, surprisingly, um, probably written by his staff. But at any anyway, rate, if you read it. It, what's clear in there is that he thinks that if you can make people laugh at your opponent, you're going to win.
1: Hmm.
0: And what happened with Moscow Mitch, people were laughing at him. There were people wearing hats all over Kentucky that sort of said things like, "Niet Mitch," hmm. and they were laughing at him. And that, I think he knows better than most people, is something that can really hurt you in politics.
1: I mean, this is a guy that's given himself the nickname the Grim Reaper. Other things have slid off him. He doesn't mind being seen as evil, just he doesn't uh, like Putin, maybe, doesn't like being seen as a kind of figure of fun. His tolerance for being considered evil is also something extraordinary about
0: him. I mean, and he tries to, you know, lean into it with the sort of collecting the political cartoons that make him out to look like a turtle and the Grim Reaper, and Darth Vader, and all that kind of thing. Actually, Dick Cheney used to do much the same. But that's, think about those images, those anti-heroes, they're powerful. What he doesn't want to be thought of is corrupt. Moscow Mitch was a very corrupt allegation. The idea was that he had thrown the election in favor of Trump by taking help from the Russians that he had not stood up to Putin when Putin was interfering in the 2016 election. And there's new material on that in that the story that we ran, which shows you that quite surprisingly, for weeks and weeks and weeks, the, the director of the CIA in 2016 in the Obama administration, John Brennan, was trying to reach Mitch McConnell in the summer of 2016 with what he described as an urgent national security matter, a threat that he needed to talk to McConnell about. McConnell at the time was the the Senate majority leader. So you've got the CIA director personally trying to reach the Senate majority leader. And for weeks, Mitch McConnell just ducked it. It didn't make time for him. It's sort of astounding.
1: What's crazy about that is this kid from Kentucky, you don't get called by John Brennan every day asking to talk to you about an urgent matter that, you know, sounds like you could be getting called about an Al Qaeda warning. And the fact that he refused to take that call suggests that he answers to another someone other than the US intelligence services which is what we've seen in in the president. And that is very ominous. I, that description is chilling in, um in your piece of Brennan's efforts to reach him. And then of course you lead to, you know, another heart sinking moment in the dreaded year 2016 when McConnell edits beyond recognition The memo or the letter signed by Paul Ryan, signed by Barack Obama to warn Americans about Russian interference. Talk about how that letter went down.
0: So basically, those weeks when he was not reachable were when the Senate was in recess over the summer. He finally comes back after Labor Day. The president calls him and the three other top congressional leaders into a private meeting in the Oval Office, no staff, and begs them to put out some kind of letter of warning to the country and particularly to election officials to warn them that there's a foreign threat taking place and that if they need help, they can get it from the federal government. Three of the four congressional leaders there said sure, The fourth was Mitch McConnell, who, according to the account I've got, said nothing, and then dragged his feet for weeks afterwards as the four of them tried to come up with the statement that the president implored them to put out. And I've got the back and forth between the the staff members. I've actually had a chance to look at the log and see the email correspondence back and forth. And what you can see is for several more weeks, what happens is McConnell refuses to put out any statement that will identify it as a foreign threat. Um, And he also insists on this language that's so muddled that the state and local election officials are almost unaware of what's going on when this statement finally put is put out. And they also are not asked to go get help from the federal government because Mitch McConnell doesn't believe that there should be any federal role in election security. He thinks it should be up to state and local officials. Basically, it just becomes this indecipherable comment that comes out. And and nobody knew till long after the election that it turned out the Russians were actually targeting the election... Security election systems in all 50 states. Yeah.
1: Yes. You have written about Kathleen Hall Jamieson's research into just this question of did uh, Russian hacking, Russian information operations um, swing the election for Trump? And for some reason, although your piece and her book came out in October 2018, that it's still somehow verboten to say, The Russians did this. Like, Russian interference wasn't just a nuisance. It may have compromised the legitimacy of the election and the president.
0: It is as if you can't really say it, or if you do, that you're, you know, discounted. I mean, even after just this week, the Senate Intelligence Committee put out yet another study, a bipartisan study that was unanimously released in a Senate committee that's headed by a Republican saying that there is no doubt about the intelligence that that Russia tried to interfere and w- was actively interfering in the 2016 election. I mean, it's not really debatable anymore. And the thing is, McConnell himself has said that he accepts that verdict, even though President Trump never has accepted it. I mean, McConnell said he accepts it, but the, the mystery is, okay, well, what was he doing then in the summer of 2016? Why was he resisting meeting with John Brennan? Why was he not putting out a clear statement to all the officials that manage elections all over the country before the election? What was going on in his head? And, and you know, it's a bit of a mystery. He didn't speak to me for the story, but I've got people who speculated on it, including one of whom is Susan Rice, who was the national security advisor to Obama at the time, And basically, she says, you know, you can't know for sure, but she thinks that McConnell realized that if you called out the Russians who were trying to help Trump, it might hurt the Republicans from chances of winning. And so that he may have just done this for partisan purposes. Again, the man is driven by the need to win no matter what. And, and, and she says, if that's so, it's a disgrace. And of course it would be if so, we don't really know for sure. I mean, what, what was in his head. Um, But, but there are plenty of people who were rubbing shoulders with him around then who were interviewed in the story who speculate that he may have just done this for partisan advantage.
1: And you know, what's also, you know, back to your point about the projection of McConnell and co of corruption onto Biden. That The claim at the time by McConnell, or at least the, the one that trickled down to me, was that if he and Obama were to make a bipartisan statement about Russian interference, whether or not they mentioned that it was to sway the election for Trump, they would be seen somehow as partisan. And he managed to prey on, it seems like, Obama's Fear of putting a, a, you know, a thumb on the scale for Hillary, though he was campaigning for her or being seen as partisan in his final days.
0: Yeah. And what, what Obama was so worried about was he wanted people to understand that this was a national security threat, that the Russians, that he was not calling out attention to them because he was trying to help the Democrats, he was calling it out because it was a threat to all of us, no matter what our parties are, to have a foreign country interfering in our democratic election. And 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 he wanted that that message to come through in exactly that bipartisan, nonpartisan way. Yeah. And and, and the problem was that McConnell was threatening to make a stink about it that would be saying, you're just doing this to help the Democrats, which is really low.
1: It's also wild to imagine that there were statements, you know, obviously WikiLeaks hacked the RNC also. There were ways that Republicans at the time and intelligence, you know, nonpartisan intelligence professionals like James Clapper just said, this is about election security and left out whether this was on Trump's behalf or not. You know, as you say, that it was just it was a it was a major security breach. And the fact that McConnell, no fan at the time of Donald Trump, was unwilling to do that, suggested not unwilling even to sign on to that, that there was this intelligence breach, suggests that McConnell was not just answering to the Republican Party and trying to further the Republican Party, but he was explicitly trying to protect Russia
0: well, I don't know that I would say that it was because he cares about helping Russia one way or the other. I mean, he's been a sort of a cold warrior type in the in the past. I do think you have to, that if you if you look closely at McConnell, the thing he always cares the most about, in addition to winning, is specifically keeping the Republican majority. Senate. Mm-hmm. And at that point, he did not think that Trump was likely to win, but he really wanted the Republicans to hold on to the Senate. Uh, so he didn't want to do anything that was going to interfere with Republican turnout, for instance. That would have been sort of the, what was on his mind. And then, okay... Just to be fair to McConnell here for a second, just because facts are facts, he has a long history of of arguing that elections should only be in the hands of state and local officials. Um, constitutionally, election the sort of the taking care of elections has has fallen to the role is in the hands of state and local officials. There's no federal role for it. So he would he would argue that it was sort of a strict constructionist opinion, it also happens to be the kind of opinion that Southerners who believe in states' rights have often taken, you know, leave it up to the local states to decide who gets to vote and how. Um, And so um, it's consistent with all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's very, very weird. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And it may have actually had some you know, lasting impact in the election because there was no clear signal sent out warning the country about it. This brings us right up to the present
1: moment and the the covid relief bill and also his recent statements, McConnell's recent statements about how the states, the cities, blue states and cities ought to just declare bankruptcy even though, and this is a states' rights thing, even though, of course, the blue states, four powerful blue states, you know, essentially support with their tax dollars the rest of the country and certainly Kentucky. So, you know, Kentucky or some idea of states' independence is... is, And cutting federal funding to the states that pay the highest taxes is a, a neat trick, even if McConnell's wizardry might even have topped out here. It's it's very hard to make the case that it's every man for himself now.
0: It's just a great point and overwhelmingly true. Kentucky is a taker state of money from big uh, states like, prosperous states like New York and California. Yeah. It, Kentucky lives off of the tax dollars from those states because so much of the population in Kentucky is, is dependent on federal programs and different kinds of benefits that people live on. So... Yes, it would be shooting themselves in the foot. But meanwhile, the politics of it are obvious, you know, that what is he saying? He's saying we're not going to help the states that actually have functional, competent, well-staffed governments. They need to cut them, cut off all those firefighters and um, policemen and bureaucrats Because we don't have them in Kentucky, so they shouldn't have them in other parts of the country where the state governments actually work well. Just to go one step further, a lot of the Democratic Party power in states is in unionized government officials who are members of of unions like AFSCME. And so so he's going at the muscle of the Democratic Party here and saying, you know, we're not going to help you guys. If you know, why should we help you defeat us in elections? Basically,
1: you know, it's just another twist. It seems very McConnell world twist. Kentucky might come out of this kind of soft battle among the states, all right, because uh, you know, they have this Democratic governor, and that governor has aligned. Kentucky with these Midwestern blue states who are not doing the Georgia, the crazy Georgia throw open the massage parlors and the tattoo shops. They're working together grounded in science to do what they think is best for their regions. It would be just rich, nauseating irony if Kentucky came out of the pandemic doing better in terms of cases and fatalities and that that helped McConnell's reelection, that Kentucky was behaving in some ways like a blue state.
0: I mean, it's it's Kentucky's, um, you know, it's across the border is Tennessee, where they're having fights about about exactly this issue. Kentucky's also been a state where um, there's a kind of a brewing culture war on some of this because uh, the, the mayor of Louisville tried to stop. Uh, drive in church services on Easter, or at least say that he was going to take license plates of people and, and uh, who attended them and have them stay home and self-quarantine for 14 days. And so it became an issue of, you know, the, the sort of r- religious right versus the government health officials. And McConnell, in that case, was on the side of the religious right.
1: I mean, if McConnell decides starts saying that Louisville needs to declare bankruptcy, we'll know we've gotten to a weird territory. <laughs> One last thing is the lead in the piece is about this COVID, the COVID bill. I- I'm assuming, just trying to put this together chronologically, that you started working on this piece before the pandemic, and certainly before the relief bill was proposed. Walk us through what happened there, because things are moving so fast, especially with this relief bill, people finally getting their checks, that it's hard to remember how this one went down. And it had some of the same foot dragging that the Brennan warning had with McConnell.
0: Interesting, I because, I, you know, McConnell's reputation in Washington anyway is as one of the wiliest and shrewdest operators in, in the town. And yeah. Yet, if you look closely at how he handled the beginning of the pandemic, he was, in my view, he was was slow and um, he misjudged it. Even after President Trump had declared a national emergency, Mitch McConnell adjourned the Senate for a long weekend so that he, McConnell, could go down to a party that he wanted to attend in Louisville. And it looked terrible. I mean, the optics were awful. It was as Nancy Pelosi was trying to put together the first of the rescue bills. And there were a number of senators who... Um, reprimanded McConnell and said, we should stay here and work. So he didn't seem on it, I don't think. And he similarly, as the thing was brewing even before then, as Trump kept saying, you know, we're going to be fine and, there, the, you know, there's it's going to miraculously disappear and all of those statements we now know so well. Mitch McConnell was defending Trump's position on this when Democrats were saying, we've got to raise more emergency funds for it. Mitch McConnell was saying that the Democrats were just partaking in what he called performative outrage, as if it was just a big act. You see in that also, he's thrown in his lot with Trump. And that's the point of the piece, is that he has made his deal. He didn't support Trump in the 2016 election, but after his election, he has put almost no daylight between himself and Trump. And he's really enabled Trump to stay in power. And Trump is enabling Mitch McConnell to probably, likely, maybe not, who knows, get reelected. He, 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 McConnell feels he needs to stick with Trump. Um and, and so does his Republican caucus in the Senate feel it needs to stick with Trump. So you've got this devil's deal and you can see it in the beginning of the pandemic.
1: Your piece is fantastic. I'm glad it's getting attention, um, because it's it's sort of the the um you know the 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 complete audit that 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 McConnell needs that we all need uh, um of this person who's been so instrumental during Trump's presidency i saw the pieces broken into three moments three three you know kind of world historical moments in his career uh since he's been in in the senate the first was the blocking of Merrick Garland the second was the keeping from the american public the extent of russian interference and the third Is possibly stalling this COVID bill or might be considered stalling this relief bill. You do such a nice job of making at least the first two, look very analogous. The idea of McConnell is to say, not an emergency. Like, what are the libs screaming about? You know, we don't have to actually confirm Garland. Let's wait another day. Let's wait another day. Let's wait another day till it's impossible. And then the same thing, slow walking. I'm going to get back to you, Brennan, maybe. But then you get to COVID. And I think this is why this is, you know, the moment that will I think, ideally tank Trump's reputation for all time, if at great cost to us, is that that kind of slow walking was not the right response to the COVID virus, that there was no way to frame this as a hoax or or partisan. And so he and Trump seem to have met the moment where these McConnell kind of shenanigans don't don't work
0: anymore. Yeah. And I and I think, you know, it's interesting historically, because a crisis like this can make or break a leader's reputation and either they rise to the occasion or they don't and right what we're seeing is these two men are flailing and you know maybe they'll come out of it okay or get reelected by the skin of their teeth it's hard to tell at this point but they have not shown the kind of leadership that makes you stand back in admiration and confidence and you know i think there's a kind of hunger for that somehow in the country
1: Jane Mayer is a staff writer for The New Yorker and the author of Dark Money. Thank you so much for being here, Jane. It's a terrific piece and it's great talking to you.
0: Well, so nice to be with you. Thanks for all the great questions. We'll do it again in better
1: times. That's our show for today and for the week. Trumpcast, because of cutbacks at Slate, has had to go from two to one shows a week. It's rough on us and we're so grateful for your support through this time. The best thing you can do if you want to see Trumpcast and all Slate's podcasts and content stay in business is go to slate.com slash plus, where you can sign up for all our shows ad free for only $35 for the first year. And best of all, in this rough time, you'll be supporting our work. That's slate.com slash plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Richard Stanislaw. I'm Virginia Heffernan. I'm at page 88 on Twitter. Please say hi and thanks for listening to Trumpcast.